Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. I am Chris Townsend, and today we are going to review the National League West, the 2020 West. So what we're going to do on A's Cast Live until we get going again, baseball, we're going to break down every team in every division. We started with the West. So we'll talk about the Diamondbacks. We're going to talk about the Giants. We're then going to do the Padres, and we will get into the Rockies, and of course, the team that's favored to win the West for the eighth straight year, the Los Angeles Dodgers. But first, we'll head to the Valley of the Sun. Our buddy Mike Farron, who works for SiriusXM, the MLB channel, and the Arizona Diamondbacks as we break down the snakes in 2020. We always appreciate you taking the time. You know Power Alley's my favorite show on, on XM, channel 99 for me. Or is it 89? 89. 89. Know that you know the channel number. Come on. Well, and I never take it off because I know the NFL's what, 88? <laughs> yep. So that I, sounds right. I got to a point to where I just turned my, my – ki- my kids are always like, oh, my God, Dad. I'm like, I listen to you guys every morning when I take you to school. Take my kids to school. <laughs> Well, you can probably take us to school, too. We need to learn a lot. <laughs> How have you been? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing well. And, you know, one thing that we're going to be doing here on A's Cast Live is we're going to be previewing the divisions. We went, okay, which division do we want to start with first? And we said, why not the NL West? And since you're our favorite, we said, we're going to do the Diamondbacks first. So the Diamondbacks last year, 85 and 77, the big question for them with the, the new additions, are they going to be able to stand up to the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers? Well, it's going to be a tall task to stand up to them. I mean, the Dodgers are really, really good. I mean, they're the most talented team in the National League. I think they're the clear favorites. I mean, they've won seven straight division championships and two of the last three National League pennants. So um, it's a tall task to try and run them down. Now, if, if, as it appears, we're going to have some semblance of a truncated schedule, 
maybe that makes it a little easier if if you get off to a fast start if you're the Diamondbacks and, and the Dodgers get off to a little bit of a slower start maybe that makes it uh, easier for it not to balance out in the way that we've seen in the past but um, you know I think it's it's tough to say that they are going to run down LA but I do think this is a team that's going to be in playoff contention all year round if, if not for the division then certainly for for you know one of the wild card spots. We know you got some good young pitching. What does mm-hmm. it mean to add a guy like Madison Bumgarner with his pedigree and really who he is when he walks into that clubhouse and he's got the three World Series rings, no one has a bigger chip on his shoulder than this guy, he's a tough guy, what does it mean for that clubhouse and the young pitchers? Yeah, in talking to some of the young pitchers about it this spring, I mean, it's already had an impact. I mean, he he – um, sought out Zach Gallen to be his catch partner. And I think that meant a lot to Zach. And, and Gallen is probably the least known of the Diamondbacks starting pitchers, but he's also the one that probably has the highest ceiling. You know, they got him the trade from the Miami Marlins uh, at the trade deadline last year where they sent a very good shortstop prospect in Jazz Chisholm for him. But Gallen has a chance to be a very, very good starting pitcher. And Bumgarner knows that. And the fact that he took him on as his catch partner I think that that says a lot about how he feels about him. And I think you're starting to see, you know, he wants to compete every single moment. You know, he is going to continue to have, uh, I think, a strong impact on making sure guys stay focused in the short term. And I think sometimes you know, we can talk about these things and they're overblown a little bit. But with him, I think it's just it, – it's a different level of guidance than what they've had before. Zach Grinke was was really good to the pitchers that he pitched with. He's a little bit different personality, right? He's he's certainly more cerebral. He's not as kind of out front. He's a little bit more quiet, maybe even a little bit more shy. Whereas Bumgarner isn't afraid to to you know go out and say something to somebody. And I'll be really curious to see how the pitchers react to it because because I have a feeling that they're going to end up um, you know really seeing a benefit out of it. And and you know the fact that he demands his teammates to compete every night, I think that's a great positive. Well, yeah, and we got to see him, you know, his whole career in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. I think about Zach Greinke and I think about Madison Bumgarner and the way these two guys are, that's two different ends of the spectrum. And I think when you bring in a guy like Madison Bumgarner with, with, with that resume and also the fact that he is going to be angry at the San Francisco Giants because they basically said, you're out of here. We're not going to pay you. Thanks for thanks for winning all those big games for us uh, and winning World Series for us. And you know how much he can't stand the Los Angeles Dodgers. I, you're actually getting one of the best pitchers of his era, and you're getting him when he feels he still has something to prove. Yeah, and I think that that's a big part of it with Bumgarner, you know, we we've seen some of the decline in fastball velocity and the decline in stuff, but great pitchers make the adjustment. And it's funny, I was just listening. I don't know if you ever listened to CC Sabathia's podcast, but he was talking to John Lester about the same thing. I was just listening to it this last week. And those guys who are truly great find a way to maybe not be at the peak of their powers, but certainly continue to evolve. And I think that that's one of the things that Bumgarner will do now, whether that's, using the curveball more or changing the pitch mix a little bit because he's been mostly fastball cutter for his entire career. I think he's competitive enough. I think he's smart enough. I think he sees, you know, he's, he's good enough to be able to look at all the information that he's given to be able to find a way to take another step forward. And I, and I will say this, I think towards the end of last year, um, 
it sounds like he was making some changes in terms of how he used his curveball. And if maybe if that's a pitch that comes into the mix a little bit more, maybe he can make up for a little bit of the loss in the fastball and, and the reliance on the cutter by just mixing that in now and again. And I think about Marte, and I think about Escobar, and I think about the years they had so explosive. That was a lot of fun to watch for you guys. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think Cattell Marte, you know, he finished fourth in the National League MVP last year, and he really had a great breakout season. And I don't think the power is an accident. I mean, he really is built more like an uh, NFL running back than he is a, a second baseman. He's really uh, put on a lot of good weight and muscle over the course of his professional career. And I think pairing him with Starling Marte, who they got in the trade from Pittsburgh at the top of the lineup, now, I think Sterling Marte is a little bit of an underrated offensive performer. I think it gives him a dynamic one-two if you have a healthy David Peralta behind them, which they do right now. You know, Peralta, Escobar, um, you know, gives them a really good top four. And then if you can get a little bit more out of out of um, out of Christian Walker, who you know had a good first season, and you know Nick Ahmed was pretty solid, and then add in the middle there Cole Calhoun, who you saw a lot of, and you know, Calhoun is just one of those real competitive grinder players every day. I think they've got the makings of a, a solid offensive unit and, you know, certainly one that allows them to compete. You know, I heard your guys' interview with Cole Calhoun that you did for your uh, spring training preview and bringing him back home. He's an Arizona guy. Mm-hmm. You just kind of see, because there were times where Cole Calhoun for the A's, he was a tough out. And he beat the A's up. Now, last year wasn't so hot, but that's another one. Change of scenery and hitting in that ballpark every day. And just to hear him and how, how great it is for him to go home, I, I think you could get a big year out of him. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he hit a career high with 33 homers a year ago. And, um, you know, I think he's made some adjustments certainly over the last year and a half to be um, a little bit better offensively. Remember, he had just a miserable start to the to the 18th season, where he was hitting well under 100 or right around 100 when he went on the injured list in May. And since he's come back from that, he's been pretty consistent. So I think you're probably looking at a guy that's going to be, you know, over the course of a 162 game season, would be in the the 20 to 25 homer range and probably on base at a you know 325 clip or something like that and play a very good right field. So, um, you know, I think he's, he makes them a little bit more left-handed. One of their issues last year was facing right-handed pitching. And so, um, you know, I think you see, you know, from those, those kind of performances um, that he definitely is a big upgrade for them. And, you know, listen, Adam Jones was forced into more action than they anticipated a year ago because of the injury to Steven Souza Jr. And Jones had a really good start to the year. But their production on right field was pretty low overall. And so I think at the very least, Calhoun gives them a little bit of a boost in that. And he also told a story about Mike Trout when you guys are doing the interview yeah. with him. And it just he's a regular guy. He likes to joke around. It just so happens he has to be the he just happens to be the best player on the planet. I thought the way he explained what it's like to play with Mike Trout makes you realize really what makes him so special. So those two guys are extremely close too. Like they, they were really, really good friends with the angels. And I think you can kind of see why Cole Calhoun's pretty normal guy He had a high energy uh, dude, but pretty normal. And I think that that's certainly the case with trout. I mean, trout likes, you know, loves his, his Philadelphia Eagles and he loves to go hunting and fishing and just kind of is normal, but he's an incredibly talented player with a great work ethic too. And, um, you know, I think you just saw the appreciation for just how real a person like trout is. And that's, 
you know, I think that that certainly seems like it's something that's rubbed off on Cole. You know, talk about Tory, your skipper. We, we we got a chance to hook up with him down in San Diego at the winter meetings, and he told some great stories about when he was in Oakland A. One of them was the the, uh, the A's were up in Toronto, and they're taking on the Blue Jays, and it's his birthday, and it's a day game. And a bunch of the guys were going to take him out after the game, take him out for his birthday, and they were going to go party. But then he got called in, and he got released. And he was like, wow, Art Hal, that's pretty that's pretty harsh on my birthday. And Art was like, Tori, if you're going to be in this business a long time, you're going to have to learn to deal with it. But, yeah, what a special guy he is. And I can see where you need that kind of leadership to win baseball games on an everyday basis, and he brings you that kind of leadership. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the thing about him is that he's just so good at building a team environment. I mean, you, you spent – you know, a little bit of time with him, and, and you feel very quickly like you know Tory. Like there's, he's an open book. He wants to know about everybody as a person. He's a great connector, and I think that 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 carries over into the way that he manages a club. And I think he also demands that they take care of the little things. And I think that's one of the things that the Diamondbacks have done over the last couple of years, even in missing the postseason, is that. You know, they may have gotten beat on a talent level at times, but they didn't beat themselves. So there's an attention to detail when it comes to defense. There's an attention to detail when it comes to game planning and preparation. There's a huge attention to detail when it comes to base running. And those little things are things that they do well and do right. And and I think that those are things that really matter to him, to, to Tori as a manager. And I think that they carry over into the way that the, the team plays. I mean, he, he's built a really great environment. It's been fortunate that he's had really good guys too to work with um, in terms of, of just the quality of the people that have been in that clubhouse, but they've built a really strong culture there. I know that's the word that we like to throw around a lot now workplace. Basically it's a good workplace environment. And I think people enjoy coming to work. The players enjoy coming to work there. Yeah. I, as much as, Lately in baseball, people have tried to talk about how ah the manager doesn't mean as much anymore, so much about analytics and front offices. But the reality is you're still dealing with 25 human beings. And somebody's got to sit at the front of the bus. Somebody's got to sit at the front of the plane. Somebody's got to deal with these guys on and off the field. These guys have issues. They have problems like everybody else. Somebody has to actually manage the people. And if you don't have the right guy, yeah. it's really – Mike, that clubhouse can go south really fast. Well, I mean, you've seen it with Bo Mel, too. I mean, you know, Bob, I think, is one of the best at, at managing people. And I think, you know, he does it a little different than Tory, but, but Bob is a straight shooter with his guys, and they know that he has their back. And I think, you know – Bob's also a really good tactician, I think. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the real separators as to why he's in the handful of best managers in the game. But you're right. I mean, they, there has to be somebody that the players look to for answers or that you just like in any line of work, you have to look to your boss for leadership. And they are, you know, while the manager is more of a middle manager than maybe they were 40 or 50 years ago, they still lead you know, the most important the most important group within an organization, which is the players. And, you know, we can say, well, they don't have as much control over the roster and they don't have as much control over the decision because of the analytics, they still have to make those decisions when it comes to what's happening in the game. And maybe they have better information and input to make those decisions, but they have to be able to, to, you know, understand that and explain it to their players when it's something that may not look right. And you have to have credibility with that group in order to do it. So I do think that it's still 
a very important job in that way in that you're the one who's building the way that your team wants to compete on a daily basis. I know you and the Duke have kicked this around on Power Alley, (laughs) but uh, tell us how you think the three batter minimum is going to play in the first year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I think I, I actually don't mind the idea of it, but that part of this is born of the fact that I just absolutely hate mid-inning pitching changes. I just like it, it to me, it's that they just slow the game down beyond anything else. And I, I don't know how it's really going to play out. I mean, I think I'm really curious to see how teams build their lineups to combat that. I think that's one of the things that's really interesting in this is, um, you know, do you, do you go, you know, left, right, left to try and, uh, you know, ensure that there's a strong righty to face the lefty, or do you do the Joe Madden idea where you put a lefty and then two righties behind them so that if they come in to face the lefty, they have to face those two guys as well, or you have to force them in maybe to face a righty ahead of the lefty first? I don't know. I mean, I think that those are things that are going to be really interesting, and I think that there are going to be mistakes made. But really, I mean, I think in the end, I, the biggest risk it has is of people overthinking their lineup. You know, Lineup construction should be pretty simple, and this should be the thing that we've learned from the statistical revolution, which is get your best players the most played appearances possible, right? Like That's your best chance to score runs is to get your best hitters up to the plate more often. It's pretty simple. And so I would worry less about what happens with with a lefty who has to come in maybe in the sixth inning of a game or seventh inning of a game where it might impact – you know, let's say 15 games over the course of the season. And granted, those could be really critical moments over the course of the game that I would be on how you're going to manage the, you know, 700 plate appearances that come with a leadoff spot, the 670 or whatever that come out of the second spot uh, in the order and, and so on and so forth. So I think that to me is the, the bigger thing is like, where's that balance between worrying about how you build your lineup to be able to take advantage of somebody else's bullpen versus like, we just need to get our best hitters to the plate. Let's end on this. You went over to A's camp. You went over to Ho-Ho Cam. What are your impressions of the 2020 athletics? Uh, I think they are really, really good. Um, and I think this little delay to the season probably helps because it gets A.J. Puck healthy for the ready, ready, ready regular season, knock on wood. Um, I, think they're, I think they are good enough to knock off the Astros. I think they have to be one of the favorites in the American League. I think it'd be really fun if this is the year the Billy Bean stuff works in the postseason because you know that that's the that's always been the joke, right? About the A's, hey, they can get there, but they can't get through it. But like, I love the lineup. I think they have one of the deepest position player groups in baseball. I think Matt Chapman and Matt Olson are stars. Obviously, Simeon has turned into such a great leader on that team, and I think with guys like Lizardo and Montas. Um, you know, and and you know, adding puck to the rotation in that mix and a healthy Sean Manaya, I think they have a chance to really, really be very good there too. So I, I and they still have enough depth in their system that they could make an impactful trade for whatever they need at the deadline, whatever that is. So I, I just I really like that A's team an awful lot. I think they're they're I I will pick them to win the West when we get going, I think. Um, and I, I could see myself picking them to win the pennant because I think they're, they're that talented. Well, I tell you what, it's it's gonna it's it is gonna be a fun year. And everybody, and I've been telling, I don't even I haven't even told your partner. I told the Duke this. I said once I got my new car and I got Sirius XM, I didn't realize how great it is. 
And your guys' show really is second to none. Of course, the work that you do for the Diamondbacks, but your coverage of Major League Baseball, and I love how they put uh, Russo on right after you guys. So uh, keep up the great work. And, and, and there's really isn't – for me, I also – you know, during football season, I, I like the NFL channel, but uh, your guys' channel there at, at SiriusXM is just phenomenal. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. I mean, we try to have fun. I mean, in the end, and, and you know, I think that this is probably uh, more uh, evident than ever right now is, that, man, it's just baseball, and we should just enjoy the hell out of it because, um, you know, when it comes back this year, it's going to be a lot more fun to see it again. I think I, I'm already missing it an awful lot, and we're already we're just a week into the shutdown of it. But, man, when it comes back, I think there's going to be a great appreciation for it. At least I hope there is because – um, you know, it is just way too much fun. I mean, that's a great way to spend our entertainment dollars and time. Well, you know, out here, it's our morning show. Yeah, that's true. You get to wake up with us, which um, you can ask my wife. It's not really that much fun. <laughs> and the fact that you get to do a show with a guy who's been a general manager, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and everything that he's, I mean, he's been, and he, he, he's seen it and he's done it. You know, you know this one. So you know, Jim. Jim about eight years ago donated his kidney to his daughter uh, Lindsay, and um, he is just like this incredible human being on top of it. And it really makes me sick because there's nothing I can do that'll ever be as great as all of the things that he does for other people. So on top of it, I have to work with a saint. <laughs> hey, uh, we'll call you once this thing starts rolling once again. We always appreciate the time. Take care of you and your family, and we'll be calling. All right, you two stay safe, Tony. Mike is such a good dude. Love having him on the program. Had a few beers with him, the commander and I did, down in San Diego at the winter meetings. He is good people. Also good people. Very, very talented. Dave Fleming of the San Francisco Giants. And, of course, you see him doing college football and college basketball on ESPN. Got to be hard for Flem, who works uh, doing so many different sports and uh, not doing anything right now. But uh, Dave Fleming joined us, and we broke down the Giants and their chances for 2020. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's a Stanford graduate, one of the voices of the San Francisco Giants, and does a great job on ESPN with football and basketball. Dave Fleming is with us here to break down the San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants. Dave, how are you? Hi, Chris. I'm great. I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, you know, as our, our president, Dave Cavill, said, we got to get back on the air and uh, people need to hear some uh, some positive stuff and hear some baseball. So it's uh, we're, we're great. It's great to be back on. But I got to ask you a multiple choice question. So since you've been in lockdown, have you have you a been binge watching Netflix, B doing a lot of puzzles, C board games or D something other with the family? Okay, so our first, uh, you know, I mean, the kids are in school, so I'm not going to answer the A, B, C, D, but I will say that, the, you know, the days are pretty well taken up by school. We've tried to do some uh, as much P.E. type stuff as we can in the backyard, too. And then our night times, we've played some board games, but we tackled Ken Burns' Civil War. Really? Uh, which, <laughs> It's, you know, it's a, it's a it's a wrestling match with that one. I mean, it's wonderfully done, but uh, the kids had never seen it, and I hadn't seen it since it came out 20-plus years ago, and we watched it start to finish. So that was our first uh, 10 days of uh, 
nighttime family activity. Nice. A little education going on at the Fleming House. I like it. Well, let's get into the San Francisco Giants, who last year were 77-85. and 85. Uh, they, they got hot in the middle of the season, kind of changed maybe the plans for Farhan Zaidi. What are your expectations going into 2020? Well, the expectations are I think this year will feel similar to last year. Last year, to me, was a mixture of – you know, it's the veteran Giants that everybody knows about. Giants and, and baseball fans have known these guys and watched these guys for so long now. And a lot of them are still here. And, in fact, some of them, like Hunter Pence, are coming back, um, which is funny and interesting. Uh, but I, th- I think it's going to be a mix of that plus experimentation with whether it's young players from the minor leagues, which I think the Giants this year are closer to having some of those guys really make the jump up than they were last year. or uh, you know, players in the ilk of Mike Yastrzemski, whom they find from other organizations who can help them. So I think it's going to feel similar to last year. I think we're another one year away of something feeling a lot different. I think this year is more the same, a mixture of the veterans and the comfortable names with uh, trying out some new faces. And you look at some of the guys who were definitely positives from last year, and I think you definitely have to say baby Yaz, Mike Yastrzemski with the 21 home runs. Uh, he really came on and, and showed that he can be an everyday player for the Giants. Well, you you know, you, you never know what to expect with when you pick up a player like that, and the Giants picked him up from the Baltimore Orioles who felt like he didn't fit on their 40-man roster. I mean, you consider how bad the Orioles were last year, it's sort of hard to believe that they didn't have room for this guy because as soon as the Giants gave him a chance he produced and he had a legitimately good year exciting year uh it wasn't just the raw numbers if you look at like the batted ball profile really dig deep I mean he had one of the top 10 you know launch angle exit velocity combo metrics you know you can look at these things in a lot of different ways but he hit the ball hard the way you're supposed to hit it and produce numbers and played all three outfield spots and did so very well uh, you know, he really had an excellent year. Now he's on the older side for a young, quote, player. Uh, and that brings a whole different set of questions. But Mike Yastrzemski was legitimately good. And I think the Giants are going to give him a ton of at-bats and maybe use him. You know, last year they had Kevin Pillar. Pillar is not around this year. I think they're going to use Mike all over the outfield in different kinds of ways than they did last year and maybe even see if he can be their everyday center fielder. Were you shocked about the Pilar move? I wasn't shocked because I do think that, again, part of the task this year, Pilar was not going to sign a long-term contract. Giants fans really loved Kevin Pilar. We all liked having him around. Kevin had a good year with the Giants last year, but you know they weren't going to give him – they were not in a position to give him a long-term deal. So the, the alternative was bring him back for one year, and I'm, I'm sure that they had a lot of internal arguments about it and debates about whether to do that. And I think in the end they just decided, look, we have so many other spots on the diamond that are essentially occupied. Evan Longoria is going to play third base mostly. Brandon Belt is going to play first base mostly. Buster Posey is going to mostly play catcher. Brandon Crawford is mostly going to play shortstop there aren't that many other spots on the field where the Giants can try to find the next Yastrzemski or whomever. And I think center field is a spot, or at least an outfield spot, is a place where the Giants felt like we need a little more versatility. If we sign 
Pilar. He's going to get 500 at bats. He's going to play every day. And if it's not a long-term deal, if he's not going to be around for the next five years, we might as well start this season that process of trying to find other talented younger players. And that's not a knock on Pilar. I'm sure it was a hard decision not to bring him back. You know, obviously what Buster Posey has meant to this franchise, and you think of the one guy that's been in the lineup for all three championship teams, he's been the guy. But then you have Joey Bart, and he had the hand fractures last year. He's 23. He was the second overall pick out of, what, Georgia Tech. And I'm thinking to myself, the timeline, when you got a guy that's that talented and he's a college guy, at the age of 23, you start thinking, okay, it's going to be his time. How do you think this plays out between Bart and Buster Posey? Yeah, it is It is almost his time, and you're right. That is probably the hardest dilemma for the franchise at the moment, sort of short, medium term, is how to implement him now. You know, it could be that if the season is severely delayed or even, you know, even if it's just six or eight weeks, which to me is pretty severe, but, you know, even if we're back to playing baseball, say, in June, you know, it might be that that takes away enough minor league at-bats from BART to where it's going to be less of an issue this year than we all thought it would be. Because the Giants feel like he still needs some more experience in the minor leagues, some more. Not a lot more, but some more. And, you know, that problem might go away for this year. It still would be there long-term. Uh, but, but he's talented. They want him up. I think the ultimate answer is at the catcher spot, even a 50-50 split, which, you know, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but a 50-50 split still gives players a chance to be really valuable and protects bodies and keeps people fresh, and it's not the worst way to go. I mean, the A's have done that in a lot of their good years with, you know, you know maybe guys who aren't as super talented as Buster Bosey and Joey Bard are, but timeshares at that position are easier than at others. And if Joey Bart gets sort of, uh, you know, 40% playing time, you could still make a case that, you know, something real positive was happening with him. So that's kind of a long way of answering and saying, I think it's not going to be as hard as it seems on paper to share at that position. Well, the one guy I'm really looking forward to to watching his comeback because he's just entertaining as hell on the mound is Johnny Cueto. He's got great stuff. He's coming back from Tommy John and, you know, for some of these guys who have been injured, a little more of a layoff may not be bad for them. But I'm I'm excited to see him again because he's so much fun to watch, and, and, and he will be the Giants' ace. You know, me too. And he is a guy who, uh, you know, I don't know if it was easy to underappreciate him when he was kind of rolling along because he's he doesn't say much. He's a pretty quiet guy. Uh, you know, he can be flamboyant on the mound, but he certainly isn't that in his overall uh, sort of public personality. I guess his Instagram would argue against that. But uh, one thing that we've known about Johnny through this whole process, found out about him, is what a tenacious, passionate, you know, I never knew, even watching him up close and personal, how much he cared about baseball and being on the mound and his pitching and his career. He has worked so hard to get back to better physical condition, to get back healthy and be on the mound. And I think he is just itching to have a good year. So, you know, part of it is he's just fun to watch out there. He does things so differently. The other part of it is 
is that I think we're going to see like a totally determined guy pouring everything he has into being as good as he can, and that's always fun to watch. You know, I got to cover Bruce Bochy over the years, and he was always very generous with his time to come on with us, and we recently just had him on when he was helping out Tony LaRussa and ARF. And then I got to interview Gabe Kapler for the first time down at the winter meetings in San Diego. These are two opposite guys, and obviously their careers and their age. What do you think this difference is going to be like going from Bruce Bochy to Gabe Kapler? Well, to me, you know, part of it is going to be, and this is not to say Bochy, you know, Bochy inspired a lot of loyalty with his coaches over the years. And you can think of the coaches who were with him for a long, long time in San Francisco. There are a lot of names, even going back to San Diego, there are a lot of names, but I do think that the franchise from a coaching standpoint was dominated by Bruce. Uh, over these last many years and he was a big big personality in that room when he got on the bus standing in the dugout and I think one of the main differences is going to be is this is going to feel much more like a Gabe Kapler is leading a collaborative effort of the Giants hired 13 major league coaches 13 is a big number Uh, you can only have what seven in uniform in the dugout during the game so that means there are going to be six other coaches who can't be in the dugout who are working with the team full-time on the major league level. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest difference is it's going to feel like a major overhaul of the coaching staff as a whole, more so than, okay, that one chair is going to – because the one chair is going to feel different. But I think Gabe is much more likely to be a delegator and somebody who's using all those coaches in a much different way than the Giants have before. You guys are going to need a bigger plane. It's You know what? It sounds like a joke, but it's an actual issue that I think they've been working on uh, because the plane is configured for a certain number of seats, and it's gotten more full and more full over these last few years, even without 13 major league coaches. And these are first-class, first-world problems for sure. But even the last couple of years, there were a couple flights a year where somebody of the regular traveling party had to go on their own because there wasn't room. And uh, they are going to have to be, I haven't heard what the solution is, but it is a problem. It's an issue because, you know, it's not just 13 major league coaches, it's massage therapists and nutritionists and video coordinators. And the Giants travel to, I don't think a lot of teams travel to full-time traveling uh, video analysts to help out the players you know, process all the info that they get. Uh, and so it is a very, you said that sort of as a funny line, it's an actual issue with some of these teams and the Giants are now probably as full as anybody. Hey, we always appreciate the time. We love listening to you on the radio and love watching on television once we get to college football. And unfortunately, we didn't get to finish college basketball, but be well, be safe with the family and we'll see you when the uh, Giants hook up with the athletics. We can't wait until uh, the season gets going. Everybody be safe. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad you guys are talking uh, ball. And uh, we, as soon as we make sure that everybody's going to be okay, or at least relatively so, I can't wait to get the game started. Fleming, a great broadcaster, one of the best ones we got in the Bay Area. After the San Francisco Giants, we headed south to San Diego to talk about the San Diego Padres. They got a lot of young talent. They've got one of the best minor league systems, but will it be enough? Will they have a chance 
to 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 get at least a wild card. I don't know if they can challenge the Dodgers, but can they at least challenge for a wild card? And former big leaguer and now Padres broadcaster Tony Gwynn Jr. joined us on A's Cast Live. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live as we're previewing every single team in Major League Baseball, and we started with the NL West. We've done the Diamondbacks. We've done the Giants. Now we're going to do the San Diego Padres and a former Padre, a big leaguer, and now does television radio for the Padres. Tony Gwynn Jr. joins us once again. Tony, I know it's very odd times, but thank you for coming on to talk a little baseball. No problem. My pleasure at all. Anything to kind of get the mind off of of what's going on in our country and in the world right now. Love talking baseball. Yeah, we decided that we were gonna we were gonna keep things going here. Our president Dave Cavill made the decision to get back on the air because so many people are cooped up inside and they want to hear something other than news. So we're hopefully giving them a great release. And we decided to really just we're gonna break down every individual team. And we obviously we have time to do it. So we've done two National League West clubs. Now this is our third, and we're doing your San Diego Padres. And when you think about the Padres last year people thought they were going to be you know they were one of those chic teams getting Manny Machado Tatis was coming up yeah. uh they people thought they were going to be be able to make some type of run out of it but really ran out of gas in the second half and went just 25 and 47 yeah it was uh it was a tough goal for for the pods in that second half uh it's one of the most exciting players in baseball Fernando Tatis Jr. um got hurt and missed a lot of that second half, but um, certainly disappointing finish. The start to the year, however, was, was I think, better than expected. So I, I'm thinking the Padres, you know, should we be able to get back to baseball? They're kind of hoping for to see what they saw in the first half of the season rather than the second half. Well, Ron Fowler, who runs the Padres, said earlier that this needs to be a season where – they need to see some progress. And now some people have kind of backed off of that because it's been a long yeah. time since the Padres have been in the playoffs, 05-06, haven't had a winning season since 2010. And now, of course, we're going to have this a shortened season. Uh, what do you think the expectations are for the Padres going into 2020? I would have said before the season, uh, before we before this, everything started getting shut down because of COVID-19, I would have said, uh, being in the mix for a wild card would have been um, suffice. I think that would have fulfilled what, you know, owner Rod Fowler was, was asking for. And I know he's backed off of it a little bit, but there's still some, some pressure uh, to make this thing work. So uh, I, I personally believe should the, we get back to some baseball here in the near future, uh, the Padres have an advantage to, to actually get, to actually be at, in the running for a wild card spot. Look, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They they had a significant gap between them and everybody else in the division last year. I think that gap probably has widened uh, with Mookie Betts and, and David Price being added to that team. So, listen, anything can happen. Teams could have a bad year, and that would certainly be something that would put the division back in play. But it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine the Dodgers not winning the division. So I think for everybody else, uh, it's a look at the, the, the wild card race. And I think the Padres have a type of roster that certainly could take one of those spots. Tell us how special 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is, and who does he remind you of? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. reminds me of Roberto Alomar. Um, he has a chance to be really, really good. And I know Roberto was a second baseman. In terms of athleticism and fluidity and the movement, he reminds me a lot of Roberto Alomar. Um, I think the sky is the limit for Fernando. I think ultimately right now, I think what most people are watching is can he stay healthy for an entire season? And listen, I, I remember being 21 years of age and thinking I was invincible. Um, I think <laughs> – I think at some point in time, he's going to have to get to a point where he's much more cognizant of his body and, and when the, when the go full throttle and when to dial it back a little bit, this is, as we all know, and maybe, maybe this shortened season will benefit a guy like that because he can afford to go full tilt. It's not the marathon that it normally is, depending on how many games we get to play. But I think that's the one thing that could hold him back is, is him not being on the field. I mean, he is so productive and so exciting when he is on the field. When the Padres don't have him in the lineup, he, he's, he's certainly a guy that, that leaves a huge hole that really can't be filled by anybody in this, in this organization. Yeah, I like that comparison because years ago, a young Roberto Alomar, even though Gary Templeton was there, they envisioned him being a shortstop, Roberto, yeah. and ended up, of course, being a Hall of Fame second baseman. So I do like that comparison. And then I think about Manny Machado. And when we were down, I got I got to see it down at the winter meetings in San Diego, and we were hearing about stuff about Machado. And I, I don't know if it was a good look talking about how your first year you maybe didn't give it your all in the first year of a 10-year deal with $300 million. I got to think that didn't sit well with Padre fans. I listen, I think when it comes to Manny, I, I think there's a, a certain understanding of he, he is who he is. And I think um, – Although it might have been a little bit disappointing to hear him say that, you know, he, he, he didn't turn it on the way he should have. He wasn't the only one in that boat. And, and obviously it's easy to point out the guy who's making the most money and, and, and is, you know, you're probably the face of your franchise. But the reality is there were a, a lot of guys in that boat that uh, when you watch that team play in the first half and then you compare them to what you saw in the second half, it looks like two entirely different teams. So, uh, I, I, for one, I think many people around the organization think Manny's due for a breakout year. Uh, after we've seen this before, the year, the year before with Eric Hosman, you make the, the transition from the American League to the National League. You're seeing pitchers that you haven't really seen before, and that's advantage pitchers in every situation. Uh, I expect them to have a big year this year. And uh, I think with the, the staff that they put around Jace Tingler, uh, they're certainly going to be there to hold them accountable and, 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 and Manny has said as much so far when, at, when we were, at least when we were at spring training, he said that, you know, this, this staff that they have around won't allow for any of us to take the throttle off. Well, one guy, the Padres pit, well, there's two guys, but one I want to talk about here. Tommy Pham is a baller. We've seen yeah. him in the American League. He brings it every single day. He is a tough out. I remember last year in Tampa, I was with the A's down in St. Petersburg, and he wore the A's out in a series. I think that was a terrific pickup because it, it's that guy that brings talent, but he brings energy and toughness every day to the park. Talk about having a teammate like that. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the signing to me that is going to be the game changer for the Padres, right? You got the talent. Now you need that guy that 
no matter what day it is, no matter how many games straight he's played, he's bringing the same energy. And his expectation is that his teammates are bringing the same type of energy and toughness. So I, I've been in clubhouses like that. It raises everybody's level of play. It raises everybody, uh, everybody's toughness. And I think that's what Tommy Sam is going to bring to the table. I mean, I saw him in spring training. I did about four games out to four or five games. And I promise you, and he played in all of them. He was the only guy playing in back-to-back-to-backs like as soon as he was. And every at-bat was a 3-2 count. And for a young Padres team, uh, a, a team that has some, some veterans, but he's the, really the tone setter. Like when you see an at-bat put together the way Tommy Pham puts an at-bat, you'd be remiss not to go up and, and try to, to at least <laughs> make the pitcher work a little bit, right? Because – He's doing it every at bat. I, I think that's been one of that's going to end up being one of the best signings uh, the Padres have made, or excuse me, trades that they have made. And um, I think he's going to do wonders for this Padres team. And I think about what could be a big strength in 2020 for the Friars is that bullpen. Uh, two former yeah. A's coming your way, Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomeranz, and then you throw in the guy Kirby Yates who. Uh, hopefully people in baseball understand how good he is. 41 saves last year that led Major League Baseball with a 1.19 ERA, which is the lowest in club history. Talk about the strength that is the bullpen for the Padres. Yeah, it's definitely a strength. The Emilio Pagan uh, pickup, bringing him over to the staff, signing Drew Pomerantz, are going to turn out even bigger than they were because that Andres Munoz, who was the young kid, came up throwing 100 and did had a lot of success in his rookie season last year. He's out for Tommy John now. So you, the depth that they had, it, it was an abundance of depth in the relievers area prior to uh, everything getting shut down. There's a little bit less depth. So uh, I still think this is going to be the strongest part of the, of the ball club. You mentioned Kirby Yates, who's become one of the best relievers uh, in baseball, in my opinion. Over the last two seasons, you got a, a, a vet like like Craig Stammen who comes in and can pit, wear many different hats in that bullpen. You mentioned Drew Pomeranz. You mentioned Emilio Pagan. You have a guy like Jose Castillo coming off of injury last year. This bullpen has the ability, has the potential to be one of the best bullpens in the league, and that's without a guy like Andres Munoz who, who made this bullpen pretty good at the end of the year. You know, it's sad, but every organization, you know, it's that dirty word, Tommy John. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, you know, like Chris Paddock last year. I mean, this kid's super special, but you're going to baby him coming back from Tommy John, a guy that we saw for years in, in Anaheim. Garrett Richards are counting on him. Mm-hmm. Got Lamette coming back. You got all these guys in this rotation, but that's really much everybody's rotation. But talk about this rotation for the Padres, because if guys are healthy, you do have some real quality arms. We do. The Padres definitely have some, some, some quality arms. I think you're going to see the range taken off of, uh, of Chris Paddock now. I don't know if that would be the same for Garrett Richards, at least early, because he, can, he actually made a couple starts at the end of the season uh, last year, and, and depending on how much they want to you know, kind of baby him through that first part of the season, uh, we don't really know yet. But if everybody's up at full strength, including the Nelson and the Met, to get a good pickup, in my opinion, like Zach Davies, who can come in and, and give you some innings. And when he's healthy, he's also been very good. At the back end, you got Joey Lucchese, who was a number two last year in this rotation. He slides to the five. 
or Cal Quantrill, who showed very well too last year. Uh, this, if those first three guys are healthy, uh, excuse me, the first four guys are healthy, this rotation has potential to be very, very good. And I think this this season will change the way front offices think a little bit because we're going to play a shorter season. That's what it looks like. And we've got two guys up here in Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck where we were thinking about if it was a 162-game season, they were going to have innings limits. They are going to have to baby him. And I think about a guy that everybody's talking about in McKenzie Gore for the Padres. He's just 21. He's got an electric arm at some yeah. point. He's going to come up. Do you see with the shortened season, we may not baby these young pitchers as much? I I could see that. And I hadn't thought about that, honestly, until you just said it in terms of Mackenzie Gore. But I think the plan for him going into the season was let him come out, get his feet wet in spring training, uh, then start the year at the minor league level. And eventually, some point, second half, before the break, uh, you might see him. Now, with the season being shortened, who knows what's happened. Uh, in a short second spring training, show enough to, feel, to make this front office feel like the time is now. Now, I will say, I doubt the Padres will push the time frame up any bit more than it already has been. So, I would think he would have to show wonderful in order to make that roster, but I, no doubt at some point this year, you're going to see Mackenzie Gore and you're going to see him in this rotation. Yeah. Let's end on this as people have talked about how, you know, we don't know what we're going to see. Like if they're going to take the playoffs into November, you know, you could have neutral sites like we see for the Super Bowl. You know, maybe you're playing playoff series in L.A., Anaheim, and and, and San Diego because the weather usually is still pretty good in November. Or you got roofs yeah. at Houston and in Arlington with the Rangers' new ballpark. I mean, we have no idea what, what this season and what the playoffs are even going to look like. We don't, and I think that adds to the intrigue. I think that makes it more exciting. I mean, there was already talks of adding wild cards later on down the line. Maybe they go to that now. Maybe they they find a way to to have a neutral site come playoff time because come November are um, are pretty chilly <laughs> and not necessarily baseball weather. So I think it adds an injury. Nobody really knows what the season is going to look like. We do know both sides want to get as many games in as possible. Uh, what that looks like, we don't know. But uh, I, I just have a feeling it's going to be very creative and it's going to be something that we are going to enjoy, even if it is for just this one season. Tony, I always love talking baseball with you. It's it's a lot of fun, and I know a lot of people appreciate that uh, guys like you and me are back on the air talking about our great game and helping a lot of people here in Northern California who are on lockdown, just like you guys are in Southern California, and, and just be able to give them a release away from all the news because it's tough watching the news now. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you during the season. You do the same. It was an honor to come on and, and actually be able to have some baseball talk, and uh, you guys take care. Isn't it amazing how much he sounds just like his father? Uh, whenever we have him on, as soon as he starts talking, it reminds me of his dad, the Hall of Famer, the great Tony Gwynn. Now we head to the Rockies, the Rock Pile. They were bad last year after going to the playoffs two years, two years straight before that for the first time in franchise history. Their TV play-by-play voice, Drew Goodman, joined us to talk about the Colorado Rockies. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time. We truly appreciate you coming on A's Cast Live. Oh, you bet, man. Good to join you guys.
So when, when I think about the Colorado Rockies, so what we're doing here as our president wanted to get us back on the air and talking to our fans is we decided is we're going to break down every single team until we start playing again. And we started with the National League West. So we've already done the Diamondbacks. We've done the Giants. We've done the Padres. And now today we're doing the Colorado Rockies. And really surprising for me uh, under Buddy Black where the team makes the playoffs two straight years and then really falls off last year. What are you looking at expectation-wise once we start playing again, what the Rockies will look like in 2020? Well, uh, you know, hopefully they look a lot more like they did two years ago and, as you mentioned, three years ago. Um, last year they really they struggled uh, on the hill, which, generally speaking, when you struggle um, – that's what uh, that's what's going where it's going to take place. Uh, Kyle Freeland a year ago um, went from uh, a guy who was fourth in the National League in the Cy Young Award to having to go back uh, to AAA for a while. So you need a bounce back year from him uh, to begin with. The top of the rotation with Herman Marquez and and John Gray, um, it, it's really solid. I mean, Marquez has a chance to be elite, and then at the back of the rotation, they have they have a couple of arms they like. It, they don't have a lot of depth. So for the Rockies to return to, again, where they were in 2018, they need a couple of good stories and good health, naturally, uh, in that rotation. But in terms of position players, they're going to put out a pretty good lineup uh, on a day-in and day-out uh, basis. You know, getting ready for this interview and researching the Rockies, I, one thing that really shocked me, you know, summertime's beautiful in Colorado and really in the National League West, pretty much everywhere you go. It's beautiful other than Arizona because it's really hot. But, wow, did the Rockies really struggle in July and August going 6-19, and 9-19. And, and the stat that I just can't get over, zero road series wins for the Rockies after July 1st. Have you ever seen anything like that in your career? Well, historically, the Rockies have struggled on the road. It's, um, it's one of those – uh, situations where people, when they glance at the Rockies and they always, you know, notice some of the glowing offensive stats and, and they always dismiss it. Well, it's cool field. It's a great place to hit. They're hitting it altitude. What is rarely spoken about is that the, these guys have to make constant adjustments, um, not only physically because they're going from altitude to sea level and back and forth, but also with ball movement. So that's why, the road numbers for Colorado typically have not been good and stand in large contrast to what they're able to do at home. Um, the previous two years, they were a really good road team. In fact, uh, they won 44 games on the road um, in 2018, which is a, a, a high watermark for the franchise. So, uh, yeah, basically everything that could go wrong last year went wrong for the Rockies, and that's you know that's why they went from a you know, a 91-win team and playing a game 163 to capture the division in L.A. Uh, in 2018 to just win in 71 games last year. I'm glad you bring up the altitude because I also work in football. I work for the Raiders. So we, we come up there every single year to take on the Broncos. And I don't think a lot of people really understand how hard it is to play in altitude, to stay healthy in altitude. So when you think Larry Walker, you think Todd Helton, and now Nolan Arenado, who is such a special player, to, 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 to play every single day in Colorado and for the Rockies is really far different 
than all the other 29 other teams. Talk about the whole altitude factor because it's different for these players. Uh, there's no there's no question, and it's, uh, I'll be honest, it frustrates me as a broadcaster when uh, people are just lazy um, when they assess what players have done uh, with the Rockies offensively. And, you know, they, again, they always dismiss it as, uh, or the, with the caveat of, well, he did it at Coors Field, he did it at altitude. And there's so many examples of, you know, great Rockies hitters who went on uh, to other cities, and guess what? They were still really good offensive players. I mean, look at D.J. LeMahieu. You know, some people will say, oh, he was a Coors Field creation. Well, he goes to Yankee Stadium, he hits 26 home runs, and he was, uh, you know, top five in the American League in, in MVP balloting. So uh, the Rockies legitimately have produced a lot of high-quality position players. Uh, they're going to have to continue to do more so on, on the pitching end to consistently compete. But um, it, it has been a source of frustration through the years. Um, and, I, and I do think, uh, quite honestly, uh, there are people who are a little bit lazy when they um, when they look at what transpires in Denver and just assume, well, who cares? It's it's altitude. It's not denying that it's a great place to hit. It's not denying that um, you know Coors Field is the largest outfield in in baseball. So you are going to you know put up uh, nice offensive numbers there. But um, it's like with a ball going over the wall. Coors Field is a huge ballpark. If you hit the ball out of the ballpark at Coors Field chances are you hit it out of the ballpark anywhere else in baseball also. So um, I, I do think it's a bit of a, a misnomer, and, I, and I, do, um, I, I do think that a lot of people need to take a closer look at times when they're breaking down Rockies players. Well, yeah, last time I checked, Larry Walker was a great player with the Expos. Larry Walker was a great player with the Cardinals, and there's a reason he's going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. It wasn't just because yeah. he hit at Coors Field. And by the way, I think that actually – is a really good thing when you look at Rockies going forward is that Larry Walker is going into the Hall of Fame and that looks like we're finally going to get away from the, oh, he played at Coors Field effect. Yeah, it, it, it definitely um, is helpful, though, you know, it took him, you know, to his 10th uh, year of eligibility. And some of that is, you know, Larry dealt with a lot of injuries and, and didn't quite stay on the field probably as much as he would have liked. Uh, but it's awesome that he's going in, and hopefully that will start to, uh, you know, change the narrative a little bit as, uh, you know, Rockies players or players that uh, played the bulk of their career uh, in Denver and how people uh, assess them. And, you know, next on the, on the list is, is Todd Helton. I mean, you look at Todd Helton's numbers. Um, you talk about a guy with almost 600 doubles and, you know, well over 300 home runs and over 300 batting average and a tremendous defensive first baseman. I mean, Todd, Todd Helton's numbers are, are Hall of Fame worthy, and we'll see if uh, over over a period of time if, uh, if he's able to get in also. Well, and your third baseman obviously is very, very special. Nolan Arenado is a guy who signed that big contract, and we kind of root for players now to stay with one franchise their entire career. But I, I don't really know what was going on this offseason and when we were down at spring training. I hope the relationship has been patched up because I'd like to see him spend his entire career and be the face of the franchise. How are we right now between Nolan Arenado and the Colorado Rockies? You know, it's funny. On the uh, on social media, I got this question the other day. Do, uh, 
do I think that the uh, the with the you know the fact that we're dealing with this pandemic will will it actually help uh, mend fences between Nolan and the organization? I, I don't know if if that's necessarily the case because it's not like people are conversing every day. Um, what I think men's fences the most is winning. And if, if the Rockies, if, if we get the season started up and, you know, if whatever it is, let's say it's 125 games, if, you know, if, if the Rockies um, can be relevant and, uh, and, you know, play more like 2018 than 2019, then everybody will be happy. And it's amazing how things get put to bed, if you will. I'm with you. I, I love to see when great players um, stay with the same organization throughout their careers. Um, naturally, I'm significantly biased with this particular one. I'd love to see Nolan stay a Rocky. Uh, I know the fan base would obviously love to see Nolan um, you know, stay a Rocky. It's the same thing with the guy who plays next to him also, Trevor Story. I mean, yeah. Nolan's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And, I, and I'll tell you what, um, you guys have a nice uh, – you know, shortstop out in Oakland, uh, Trevor, Trevor Story is a unique talent. And, you know, a couple of years from now, people are going to be looking at him and saying, wait a second, this, this guy, this guy's a freak, which, uh, you know, I think he is right now, but more people are going to start to realize that about uh, him as well. But getting back to the Nolan thing, yeah, uh, I, I'm hopeful that, that when we get back to playing the Rockies, get back to uh you know winning and that this kind of gets uh you know pushed to uh one of those stories that that occurred in the off season and and everybody's happy again yeah very similar what you guys have on the left side what we have and it's crazy to think that nolan and matt chapman were high school teammates and as you mentioned marcus simeon what a great year he had and i think about trevor's story he's the first shortstop in Major League Baseball history to hit at least 20 home runs in four straight seasons. And he really didn't strike out last year. I just, when you look, I mean, for, if you play fantasy baseball, he's a dream, but Trevor's story is really, really special and doing stuff we've never seen before in Major League Baseball. Well, first of all, he's a freak defensively. His, his range and his athleticism, defensively and he puts away you know the everyday play um he he is he's gonna win he's gonna win multiple gold gloves he was a finalist this year um you understand it's usually a process in winning the gold glove but he is he's uh, as good as there is defensively um he has top shelf power as you were mentioning and he is legitimately one of the three or four fastest players in baseball. So, I mean, he had 20-something stolen bases last year. He was telling me during spring training he, he really wants to uh, improve that number um, this year, and we'll see if that's possible now because it doesn't look like they're going to play a full season. But point being, there's nothing on a baseball field he can't do. And the, the strikeouts, which were you know high initially in his first couple of years, you know, it's, it's kind of trending in the right direction um, where he's not swinging and missing uh, quite to the level that he was. So, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a special talent with a, with a ridiculous work ethic. Let's end on this. If Oberg stays healthy and Wade Davis rebounds and starts pitching like he did in Kansas City, how much better will the Colorado Rockies be in 2020? Well, I think, I, I think those two guys are key. 
And I would say they don't. You have to have a couple other good stories as well in the, in the bullpen. Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez, two other names. I would I would implore people to keep an eye on. They're they're still relatively young um, in their big league career. You know, power arms, and the Rockies need to have, as I said, a, a couple of other good stories down there because uh, not only did the rotation struggle last year for the most part. But the bullpen really struggled also. So, yeah, for, it's the same for every team. You know this, that when you go into a season, you, you're going to always have um, several questions. The more questions that you can answer in a positive way after playing three or four months, typically if you're able to answer most of those questions in, uh, you know, in, a, in a positive vein, you're doing pretty well. And the converse is true also. So I would agree with you. Uh, I think Scott Oberg, uh, who was very good last year until he had to get shut down with the, the blood clots, you need Wade Davis to uh, to be more like you know the guy who's been throughout most of his career. And then a couple other guys um, down there to, to really emerge, if you will. And then I think the Rockies have a chance to compete. But uh, yeah, I know you've already broken down the NL West. This is a really... This is a really good division. I mean, the Dodgers, uh, talent-wise, are the best team in the in the National League and have been, uh, you know, along with the Nationals for the last several years. Um, you know, the Giants probably the only team that's still really in transition. Padres have a plethora of great young players. I, I like the moves that Arizona, you know, has done. So this this is a tough division. Um, you know, go ahead and try to win 88 plus games in in the National League West is not going to be an easy task. Well, I can tell you over the years, I've really enjoyed your guys' broadcast, uh, tuning in every once in a while on MLB.com. You guys do a fantastic job, and I think it's going to be important for guys like you to get back on television for all of us who are, who are locked in our homes right now. So hopefully that'll uh, start sooner than later. We really appreciate the time. Be safe, and we'll talk to you during the regular season. Yeah, Chris, uh, you know, we all look forward to it, obviously. You know, whether you're a baseball fan or you're us, you know, we're baseball fans, but uh, live to be able to, you know, have the privilege to come into people's living rooms every evening and uh, and uh, document uh, your favorite baseball team. We all can't wait to get uh, get back in the booth, get back to the stadium and, um, you know, in the interim, hang in there. Um, keep your social distancing and, and uh, let's let's. Uh, Let's win this battle against uh, COVID-19. All right, so we've given you Arizona, San Francisco, San Diego, and Colorado. We ended with the team that we think is going to win the West for the eighth straight year, a chance to go to the World Series for a third time in four years, and a trying to win it for the first time since 1988. Jerry Harrison Jr. knows a lot about winning the World Series as he was on the 2009 New York Yankees when they won it all. Here is Jerry breaking down the Dodgers for 2020. Jerry, thanks so much for taking the time. And we're talking a little Dodger baseball here as we're getting ready for the 2020 season. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, good news. I mean, more than just baseball that we're going to be talking about is uh, a new TV deal has been struck down in Los Angeles. Sounds like it's exciting times for Dodger fans. It is exciting times. You know, one of these things that you know, I know the Dodgers and Spectrum has been trying to work with um, other distributors to make sure that everybody gets a chance to see Dodger baseball, you know, not just in the L.A. area, but 
you know, around the country. And I know I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm watching uh, Dodgers TV right now uh, using DirecTV. So it's exciting times for all Dodger fans. Now everybody will get a chance to see on your mobile devices or at home, you have a chance to, to watch Dodger baseball. Yeah, because it was pretty crazy. You're talking about the, the the second largest market in the country. You're talking about one of the great organizations in baseball history. And so many people in Southern California just weren't able to see baseball because of, you know, these cable wars. So, I, I you know, you win 106 games and a lot of your fans don't get to uh, get to see it. It's good for the radio people. But for television, I really felt bad for the fans. Yeah, of course. We, we all felt bad for the fans. You want to be able to to be able to put your product out there for everybody to see. But again, you know, when, you, when it's, you know, sports, we talk about all the time, it's a business and it's big business, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, it is a big business. So, you know, finally, you know, a deal is in place. Everybody gets a chance to see uh, this great Dodger team uh, for many, many years. And hopefully we all get back on the field uh, sooner rather than later. You know, the bottom line is, you know, we, we've been going over the National League West. So we've done Arizona. We've previewed the Giants and the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. And everybody we bring on, everybody says, listen, it's the Dodgers division. They're going to win it unless something dramatically goes wrong for them, which I don't think is going to happen. They'll win the division for the eighth straight year. This is just they they have turned out a product. This is an absolute powerhouse. And the thing about the Dodgers, they have all this talent, and then they also have a minor league system that's one of the best in baseball. So this isn't going to change anytime soon. Well, we hope not. You know, the Dodgers have done a great job. It started with Andrew Friedman. Uh, and, and really before him, Ned Coletti did an outstanding job drafting guys like uh, Clayton Kershaw, uh, trading for guys like Andre Ethier, drafting Matt Kemp, and really starting that foundation years ago. And then Andrew Friedman has taken that foundation and really enhanced it. And, you know, we always talk about the big markets, whether it's New York, uh, Chicago, Boston, L.A. If you really look at the dynamics of the Dodgers, you know, yes, they're a big market team, but their foundation pieces outside of Clayton Kershaw are young guys. You know, Corey Seager has not hit free agency yet. Obviously, Cody Bellinger is starting to enter arbitration. Uh, Their core guys are young guys, the homegrown guys. So, you know, that is the, the key to success in, in baseball. You have to have a minor league system. You have to have guys coming in, into the fold, ready to contribute year in and year out. You know, this year we'll have Gavin Lux uh, be our starting second baseman. Gonsling will be in the mix. Urias, who's been around the last couple of years but still just 21 years old, he's going to be in the rotation. Dustin May will have a chance to, to throw the ball to the bullpen. So they're deep because the scouts have done their homework the scouts have done the job of drafting these guys, the right guys, and implementing them in the system. And that's why the Dodgers have been so successful the last six, seven, eight years. You know, last time we had you on, we were talking about the great infield, uh, that the team that you were on, the World Series champion 2009 New York Yankees, and that infield, the names are just incredible. And now I think about the outfield that you're going to be broadcasting around. I mean, how excited are you to see Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts in the same outfield? It's incredible. You know, we talk about their offensive production. You know, both can can steal a base. They can go first to third, score on a double from first. Uh, They're dynamic athletes on the base pass. They hit the long ball. But something that kind of gets overshadowed, you just mentioned it, 
is their defense. For them to be able to cover ground, Cody in center field and Mookie Betts in right field, and to be able to take away doubles, take away triples, and to have those type of outs to help your pitching staff, that just gives your pitching staff that much more confidence to throw strikes. Knowing that, hey, you know, if they do drive the ball, we have guys that can go out and get the ball in the outfield. And you put A.J. Uh, Pollock in left, along with Jock Peterson, two guys that can also go get the ball uh, and, and know how to play defense. And then our guys that, that are coming off the bench, CT3 and Kiki Hernandez, who Kiki, in my opinion, is the best super utility player in all of baseball. It just goes to show the dynamic of this team, the depth of this team, and you have athletes everywhere. 12 walk-off wins for the Dodgers in 2019. That was the most in Major League Baseball. If there is only one thing that I look at, and you tell me if you may be a little bit worried about, it would be the bullpen. Well, I think every team worries about the bullpen. <laughs> you know, I think, you, you know, I talk to Nick Coletti all the time. We work together uh, on Dodgers TV. And I think every GM worries about uh, pitching and, and really more so the bullpen, knowing what are you going to get when you – uh, call down the bullpen in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And sometimes, you know, you have a, you, these relievers will have unbelievable years, and the very next year, the same guy, you know, has a, a terrible year. That's just the nature of the beast. And the Dodgers have done a great job of getting a lot of guys in the mix with great arms um, that have had some success. Jimmy Nelson now is healthy. Alex Wood now is healthy. Uh, they're in the mix. We have young guys like Dustin May, Gonsling, they'll be in the mix. Uh, really good guy, really good arms in that bullpen. And then uh, Kelly, who's a World Series champion, and really threw the ball extremely well the second half of last year. And one of your guys that we, we got from you guys uh, uh, this, this offseason who had a great success in that team. And, and, you know, we were really excited about Kenley Jansen uh, having a bounce-back year. So this bullpen is deep. They have had some success in the past, and hopefully they'll have success this year. Yeah, Blake Trinan, if he if he rebounds and Jansen rebounds, I mean, those are two all-star closers right there. That'll be lights out city when you think about it. And, you know, when, when, when I look at the Los Angeles Dodgers and the expectations, I love you bring up Ned Coletti. He's a friend of the program, uh, dealing with Ned all these years when he was with the Giants, really a special guy. Now actually a scout for our San Jose Sharks, which is funny, but That's just right. – Talk about the expectations. We'll end on this because we know you got to get on a conference call here. Just talk about the yep. expectations because basically in Los Angeles, it, it's winter bust. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the players talk about it all the time, whether it's Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, Cody Bellinger, uh, Dave Roberts. Yes, there's expectations, but you want those expectations. You expect those expectations. And the Dodgers are no question the other team to beat the National League. Probably the team to beat in all of baseball now with the trades of David Price and, and Mookie Betts coming in the mix. They're the team to beat, but you want that type of pressure. i tell you what's pressure. When you're a team that's expected to lose 115, 125 games, and you're going to be out, out of the, the race of the first 25, 30 games of the season, and you, you may not have a job uh, uh, in, in a month or two or three, that's pressure. You want the type of pressure where you're expected to win, you're expected to do great things. And the Dodgers expect it, and, and they love it. Hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. And congratulations on the new TV deal, because I know that affects you and all the Dodger fans. Of course, our buddy Ned Coletti. And that, that's a really great thing for Dodger baseball. So congratulations on that. 
Really appreciate it. It's great for the fans, uh, great for Dodgers players and staff, and we're excited about it. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Be safe. You too. You take care of yourself. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, the breakdown of the NL West. Now we're working on the NL Central. But we want to thank Mike Farron, Dave Fleming, Tony Gwynn Jr., Drew Goodman, and Jerry Harrison Jr. for joining us on A's Cast Live. We'll now send you back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.